Canadian Military History Podcast. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix, and this is part two of the episode with Major Bruce Mayer. If you're interested in getting a hold of me, you can reach me by email at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on my guest book at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca. You can also find me on Facebook, Mike Lacroix, M-I-K-E-L-A-C-R-O-I-X, and there is the Canadian Military History Podcast Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Lacroix32, and my hashtag there is hashtag CMHPod. That is hashtag CMHPod. Now, without any further lead up, here's the remainder of the episode with Major Bruce Mayer. Moving on, who is your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered during your service? Man, I'm almost answering that question for you. I'm running down the list of people that I know you know. Yes. You might have a few surprises. Well, I'll start with biggest influence. And I went straight to the heart of the last question because I'm going to sort of dance around on this question. I think anyone that's been in the Army long enough understands you can't, or it's very, very difficult to say one person was the biggest influence. I think that the answer to that question changes as you evolve as an individual soldier. When I was a private and a corporal, my influences were my section commander and to maybe to a lesser extent my platoon warrant. To be perfectly honest, officers didn't enter into it when I was at that level. So people like, and I'll probably say their rank at the time, Sergeant Vic Cheney, Master Corporal Novak, Master Corporal Purvis, these guys were my commanders during recruit and basic. In those days, actually, you could exercise with your unit before your training. So I'd actually done two field exercises and a guard of honor for the Queen Mom before even going on course. So Master Corporal Zoltan Novak was my section commander for all that. Hugely influential guy on me. Then on my recruit course, Vic Cheney was my section commander. And then he left to go mountaineering in Austria or something like that, something typically Vic. And Graham Purvis became my section commander. All sorts of great stories about those guys. Vic was one of these guys, just the consummate professional, which when you get to know him later in life, you realize what an absolute howl he is. <laughs> and it's a totally different face that he would put on. When he was Sergeant Cheney, he was a completely different guy than when he was Vic Cheney. I always remember the one day he would pick me up every day for something. Boots could be even better, button not done, something like that. And I said this one day, I'm, no, I'm going to win today. There's going to be nothing wrong with my uniform. And I spent a lot of time on it. I got out there super early to do it. I get out there and prayed, and I'm like, okay, bring it, buddy. He walks by me. He doesn't even look at me. Lint in your beret. I thought, you... You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I knew there wasn't, and he knew there wasn't, but he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he had that challenging look in his eye, like, what are you going to say about it? And it kind of taught me a lesson there about how to be an NCO. He didn't, didn't punish me for it, but it was just I wasn't going to get over on him. <laughs> Novak, he was just a character. Purvis was also a character. A great story about Purvis, but maybe I should leave it to John Nell, because uh, 
for some strange reason, John, who was another soldier who joined with me, he decided it would be a good idea to date his section commander's sister. <laughs> there are better plans in life uh, on your recruit course than to date your section commander's sister. I was out on OP, and again, different days. Nell was coming out to replace me, and I'm out there. Even though it's August, I'm still shivering and cold because we're wet and we've been sweating all day. And I see John coming out, and he's in his underwear, webbing, and helmet. I said, what, what the hell are you doing? I was sent out like this by my section commander. At the time, I didn't know John well. I didn't really like him all that well, to be honest. But I felt bad for him, so I went back to my kit, my hooch, got him some of my clothes in my rucksack, brought him out, dropped him off, and then went back on my merry way. To get back to it about people who influenced you, you really never know when you're influencing someone. And this is something I think leaders need to bear in mind. Just little things you say can have a lasting impact on someone. A fellow named Sergeant Hardwick, who I believe now is Padre Hardwick. Last time I saw him, he was a captain, Padre in Petawawa. He has no idea how influential he was on me. He took the recruits on a tour of... Fort York Armories one night, and he took us to Stoney's Mess and said, you know, this is your mess, this is where you go to have your drink and, and whatever after, and he said, anyone that joins becomes a member of this mess, and he took us to the band's mess, and yeah, anyone that joins the band is a member of this mess, took us to the officer's mess and said, anyone that joins as an officer is a member of this mess, and then he took us to the sergeant's mess, and at the time, the sergeant's mess was like a museum, there was a vicar's in there, yeah. old pictures, old war memorabilia, it was almost the museum for the unit. And he stood in the middle of it and said, this is the only mess in the Canadian forces that you earn your way into. Nobody has the right to enter it unless you've earned it. And at that point, I just thought, I'm going to do that. I will earn my way into this mess. So, again, Hardwick has no idea how influential he was on me, but that set the tone for me right there. I was going to be a sergeant. I was going to make my way into that mess, as simple as that. So just a little side note for any potential leaders that are listening. You never know when you're influencing someone. Right. So to jump back again, your peers are equally influential, I found. So guys like John Nell... Frank Robinson, Kerwin Began, a name that probably not a lot of people know. But these guys were quite different than me, really helped me sort of drag myself out of my shell, really introduced me to other things. Just a great bunch of guys who, throughout my career, but especially at that young age, really sort of helped me through. And you get tough points in your course. You look left and right, and there's your buddies giving you a smile and giving you a nod or even a shove from time to time. You move up the ranks. I became a sergeant. At that point, I was largely influenced by a guy named QMSI, a quartermaster, senior instructor, Sergeant Major Wade McNaughton, he was from the Patricias. He was attached to us while I was on Class B with the Torscots. And he really took a bunch of us under his wing. There was quite a few of us down in the basement there in the QM, transport, recruiting, that sort of thing. And Sergeant Major McNaughton, or nickname was Tiny, big surprise. He was about six foot five, huge handlebar mustache. He really taught us to understand, to understand what leadership meant. Not just to sort of blindly ape what we've been taught on courses, but to actually understand why you're doing it understand the consequences of it, and think ahead, think down the road, and really embrace being a leader. He was hugely influential on me when I was a sergeant, and also as a warrant and an MWO. He had a lot of influence on me. Guys like Robin Gilmore as well, he had influence in a different way. He had a very different approach, and I've always liked that. I've always looked like looking at people's different styles and picking out the bits I like, leaving the bits I don't, the bits that sort of match my character. But yes, yeah, he evolves as you go up. Until I was a sergeant, I hadn't really been influenced by any officers. The first officer that actually influenced me was Lieutenant Colonel Ian Purdy. Colonel Purdy had been the CEO of the Lynx twice. I met him. He had actually taken a, he'd put himself down to major so he could help at a cadet camp. He was a company commander at the Blackdown Cadets, which I assisted at one summer. Yeah, I was there. Yes, you were. And Ian, Ian, I shouldn't call him that, but we've become friends since. He, for me, embodied what I thought it was officers should be. He was just, again, consummate professional, just a bang-on, 
that's what an officer should look like, act like, talk like, behave like. So it's not that he influenced me in my behavior as a sergeant, but he sort of set a standard that I could point officers I was sort of helping out. Look at him. He's the type of guy you want to be like. So to fast forward, I ultimately did commission. And some of the things I learned from Ian that summer, I was able to apply later. When I did commission, guys like Matt Richardson, who was a major when I commissioned, became the CEO of the Lynx, and now he's the commander of the 3rd Canadian Ranger Patrol Group. Matt had a big influence on me. Again, just sort of showing me the way through his actions, through his decisions, how he treated people, how he made decisions. Him and another fellow named Matt McDonald. Matt was, when I met him, a major. He had just left the Patricias. He had come to the Lynx. He'd left the regular army, come to the Lynx, stayed with us for about two years, went back to 4CR to ultimately command there. And I actually think he's back in the regular army now. But Matt McDonald had a huge influence on me. Again, he had just a style that was quite different than most. And interestingly enough, both Matts, Matt McDonald and Matt Richardson, sort of influenced me was in that they really embraced the whole mission command culture. And they influenced me by giving me the resources I needed, a clear task, and then let me go to do it. Yeah. By just having that trust in that, that I would do it, and if I didn't, they would reel me in. It was great working under those guys because you'd get your direction from Matt Richardson. He'd say, right, I need you to do this, and I need you to do it by this time. And then he kind of walked away. He didn't ignore you. He was still watching. But just to show that trust in guys that, okay, I've given you your task, and I trust you to do it, that's hugely influential for me because now I try and do that for my own guys. I'll turn to a lieutenant or a captain and say, right, this is what needs to be done. Do you understand? Yes. Do you need resources? Here they are. And then leave them to it. Yeah, to go all the way back to the beginning, no one person I can say was the influence in my life. But as I've gone through, others, different people have influenced me as I sort of changed ranks and whatnot. So I suspect if I stay a few years longer, someone else will come along at a higher level that will influence me as well. Right. Any memorable characters you want to go to next? Memorable characters. Yes. You're not going to let me off on that one, are you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Again, too many over the years to say one, but I have done a top ten list, uh, Mike, <laughs> on which you have made the list. Oh, fantastic. Without a doubt. And I should give the game away a little. You and I talked last night a bit, and you bounced a couple of names that absolutely could have made the list. And, you know, I thought about, oh, my God, how could I not put them on the list? could have a top 30 list and still be missing names. Yeah. Absolute characters. So I'll give you these in no particular order except for the first one, which is John Nell. When it comes to characters, I think John took the cake. Yeah. Anyone that knew John would have to agree, just one of those guys. I often laughed. I say that John was a son my father never had. My, my, my dad used to always laugh about John. Hey, how's John? How's Nell? Haven't seen him in a while. Right up to his final days, my dad was asking about John. I've said before that every unit in the Canadian Force is essentially the same. Every unit has a John Nell. Every unit has a Lacroix, a mayor. The Lincoln and Welland John Nell is a guy named Matt Harris, Sergeant Harris. Great guy, number of tours under his belt. Just an outstanding sergeant. Type of guy you want to keep behind glass until case of war. Yeah. Great glass. Mike Lacroix, number three on the list. Uh, fine fellow, but you might hear more of him in the future. Malcolm Dawson was a big influence. Uh, or not an influence. Well, he was an influence, but uh, he was quite the character. He was everyone that knew Malcolm, God rest his soul, just a great fellow, funny guy from, from a different, different era, but just a superb fellow. Yeah. He started with Leanne Fields and Wool Blankets. Yes. And he finished yeah. with C7s and C9s and Gore-Tex. Yeah. And how do you go through that whole gambit? Well, there was an article written about him called Straw Ticks to Sleeping Bag. Yeah. And I remember looking at the article saying, there's a misprint. What the hell is a straw tick? They mean straw sticks. I had no idea what a straw tick was. And that, <laughs> that's how far back it was that things that he started with and then were common to him, I had just no inkling of whatsoever. Yeah, and of course, Dot Malcolm must have been taught by World War II vets. Without a doubt. There was a day where we were learning the C9, 
and Malco's having a bit of a hard time. Everybody's having a bit of a hard time. And someone, for some reason, I think the museum staff had a Bren out. Malcolm went over that Bren and stripped it down in seconds. So, you know, the old guy still had it. Moving down the list, characters, uh, Zoltan Novak, who I'd already mentioned. Al Found from the Hastings Prince Edward. Yeah, definitely. A fine fellow. Still serving. I think he's Captain Found now with the Hastings. Matt Richardson. He's, uh, I've mentioned him already, Colonel Richardson. A great character, just a fine officer. He came from a military family. His dad was a, an officer in the Lynx. Matt went on to command the Lynx, as I said. Uh, commands 3K and Ranger Patrol Group right now. Absolute character in the mess. Knew how to keep the mess life going. Knew the importance of regimental family. Really pushed it saw my unit through some very difficult times, so my hat's off to Matt. Another character, uh, Master Corporal Ryan Martinson. For those who don't know Marty, he was a sergeant in the links. And in a strange twist, when I first joined, if you went overseas, say you were a sergeant and they, you're going to Bosnia, you'd be lucky to be made a Master Corporal. You'd probably be knocked down to Corporal. A couple of years ago, Marty went to Afghanistan, and they actually bumped him up to warrant officer while so employed. So that was a real sort of change for the reservists to see one of their guys go off and get bumped up in the regs. And Ryan was just a character. He was one of the guys that sort of helped me establish our LFRR company, our Land Force Reserve Restructuring Company in Welland. And he was just a character. One of these guys that you gave him an inch, he took a mile, but he always did it in good faith to get the training set up for the guys. And of course, the last two guys I have to mention, you'll, you'll know well, Andy Price yep. and Mark Kendall. <laughs> Mark and I have had our issues, but you talk about a character. Yep. Is that but you got to say these guys are characters in the good sense? I've heard people say people don't follow characters; they follow character. But it's been my experience that most characters have character. <laughs> and the the corporate life that we all sort of live now, this sort of risk averse culture we live in, is killing these guys off. And I think we're the worst for it. We're becoming all rather beige. And guys like this, if it's these guys that when it's raining and it's cold and it's miserable and you're wondering why the hell you're there, and you look over and they're shoving rocks in someone's rucksack <laughs> and giggling, it's those type of guys you need out there in the field to keep the guys going. If we all just went along like a bunch of Ottomans, it would be a really dreary place. So I hope that that sort of pendulum swings back to that. It's just a greater bunch of guys that have never been found. And that, that's really a large part of the Army. That's when you go to a party and people are telling stories Quite often, as the night goes on, it's the Army guy telling more and more of the stories, dominating the conversation more and more, and he's doing it because of all the stories about those characters. You have to experience it and understand, so a lot of listeners will understand it. That was the top ten, but I could do another ten very easily with a bunch of names you you mentioned last night, names that I I thought of as a result of that. I'm doing a whole bunch of guys a disservice, but uh, those guys would be the top ten. Well, moving on to the final question, what was the greatest challenge you had to overcome? That is a tough one. Because, again, after 26 years, you face a lot of them. I had an uncle, when I first joined the Army, an uncle from Britain was visiting. He'd been in the parachute regiment. And he told me that the hardest course I'd ever do was my basic, because you go from being a civilian to being a soldier. I understood what he meant by that, and it can be a difficult transition, but I don't agree with him. I don't think it was the toughest. The other thought that came to my mind was the movement from being a follower to being a leader. That involves a major shift in your mindset. Again, if you've experienced it, you'll understand. As a soldier, you have to think about 10 minutes into the future and 300 yards down the road. As a leader, you have to think an hour or two into the future or a kilometer down the road. Or as you go higher, you have to think a day or two ahead and 10 or 20 miles down the road. So that was a tough transition for me. The other thought was the transition from NCO to officer because those are very different animals when you think about it. The officers think about the idea, they come up with a plan, and obviously the NCOs make it happen. So that was a big gear shift for me, although it wasn't as tough as I thought. So to get to the answer, 
the single biggest challenge I had was, and I kind of mentioned it already, establishing the reserve restructuring company in Welland. I had just commissioned. In fact, that was part of the reason I commissioned her. Our unit was fairly strong on sergeant majors. We were fairly weak in officers. We knew we were getting this additional company, and quite a few people within the space of a week said, hey, why don't you consider it? So I did. I commissioned. They said, right, good, because we're going to hand you this, and you're going to run with it. And we need you to set up this company in Welland and everything that goes with that. So that was a tough goal because there was no terms of reference. It wasn't like it had been done often in the past. You had to do everything from establish a mess, get weapons, stores, furniture, computers, equipment. You had to do weird things like consult local bylaws on signage, go meet the local mayor to talk about things. You had to establish a relationship with the local neighbors. In the case of Welland, it was basically businesses who were really happy to see us. You had to run with minimal support from the parent unit because, as you know, out of sight, out of mind, you get busy enough in your own world, you forget that there's a satellite company out there with minimal resources trying to do their job. Right. So it was a real tough thing, but incredibly rewarding thing. I was given a whole bunch of leeway, and I was able to move ahead as really I saw fit, as I believed the commander intended me to do. I'd already mentioned I had some great support from guys like Ryan Martinson, Colonel Richardson. He was a major at the time, but he was a deputy commander, and he really sort of encouraged me. Yep, Bruce, look, we'll let you know if you're doing wrong. Keep going the way you are. That was great encouragement. He's now the RSM of the Lynx, uh, RSM Brian James. He was a warrant officer at the time. He was the company sergeant major. He was a great help, as was Sergeant Harris, Corporal Opatowski, who's now an airframe tech. He helped build the bar in the mess. All these just weird things that you had to do to establish this new subunit. And it was difficult because, well, for a number of reasons, but one of the things that was difficult was Lake Street Armory has over 100 years of tradition. I mean, men marched out of that armory figuratively to France in the First World War, to Britain and France and Germany in the Second World War. They walked out those gates. They camped on those grounds and marched off to war. And so now I'm establishing a subunit in basically an industrial mall and trying to sort of get a sense of history for the guys and a sense of unit pride. So that was a real challenge to do that. I think we accomplished it through a bunch of good soldiers that were willing to do that just to soldier on. So a great supporting staff in setting that up. And I'll apologize to other guys that I know I just missed in terms of names that helped set C Company up. There's a bunch of them. So to sort of sort of loop back to the original question, what, what's the biggest challenge? I hope that the biggest challenge is still ahead of me. I don't like talking about this, honestly, because I think it's a bit of a... I think the Greek term is hubris. I'm, I'm the deputy commander at the Lynx. I'm hopefully in the next year or so will be the CO, and I know that will be a huge challenge. To command a unit will be a very challenging three or four years, but um, I have to believe in a very, very rewarding time because I know how rewarding C Company was. It was a lot of time, a lot of effort. A lot of my spare time was stopped thinking about it. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Is this going to fly? Spent a lot of time sort of worrying about it, but it, incredibly rewarding. So I'm, I'm hoping that the same sort of thing happens if I should be fortunate enough to, to get into that seat. Greatest challenge, I believe, lays ahead of me still. Right. So we've come to the end of the four questions. Is there anything you'd like to add? Is there anything you're working on? Well, I'm working on uh, I'm a fortunate student on the Joint Command and Staff uh, Program, <laughs> which is a two-year course for, uh, well, obviously, a joint course, so Army, Navy, Air Force, Special Forces. A real a good course, a good group of people, good instructors. In terms of charity work, for a while I was doing work with Brock University Research Ethics Board, but that had to come to a bit of a halt because of work. But in the reserve, you're always doing stuff with other agencies. The Lincoln Welland Foundation, for example, the Lynx are trying to establish a museum in Niagara-on-the-Lake. So that, that's a big project right now that indirectly involved with. We were hoping in the near future to acquire the old, I believe it's Area C, 
which was the old Niagara on the lake training grounds, the old rifle range. Right. We're hoping to get that. I believe it's already designated a historical site because there's also a battle from the War of 1812 fought on those grounds. And we're trying to just get a big package where it's preserved as a historical site. We establish our museum there, and it serves as a bit of a draw for the Niagara on the lake. It's already a big draw, but just an additional draw to the community. So that's a bit of a project that we're all moving slowly towards. But other than that, Mike, I want to thank you for doing this because it is an important thing I think you're doing. When people in the press talk to soldiers, I don't think there's a connection because there's always that bit of wariness. You don't know what they're going to do with the information. You don't necessarily trust they're going to represent you properly. Talking to another soldier, I do trust you to do that, that you're not going to bend or twist my words. You're going to put it out there for what it is, and you're doing it with the best of intentions. I think you've got some great guests. I think it's a great idea. It's just tremendous what you're doing, buddy. So uh, keep it up. I look forward to future shows as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Any feedback is always welcome. I do enjoy doing this. I enjoy connecting with people from different backgrounds, different environments, different experiences. Yeah. I like to, just when you listen to your other guests, that sort of common bond between all of us, be it a, a general or a, an airman or a seaman or a World War II vet, we've all got that. There's something in us that, that's common, and it's nice to hear other people sharing it. You know that you've got people out there that are sort of like-minded, yet completely different in, in many ways. It's a great little project. I hope people in higher places are hearing it as well and recognizing what you're doing here. Something else I worry about is will the four questions in the format get stale? And then when I hear each episode and do each interview and I find how unique each person's take on those four questions is, Mm -hmm. I find that perhaps this format is a winning formula and it will be a, a lasting formula. But I do worry that when we get to episode 75 or Episode 95, Will the Four Questions Become Stale? And we'll have to wait till we get I there. I haven't sensed it. I mean, I've listened to quite a few of them now. Not all, to be honest, but I've listened to quite a few. And each speaker, I think, takes you in a different direction. Even though they are, the questions are similar, they take you in a different direction, introduce you to new things, new stories that might be right off in a different angle than you'd expect. So, yeah, I, I don't know if they will or not, but uh, we're friends. I'll, I'll let you know if they do. <laughs> Excellent. I don't think we've had that problem before, not speaking our no. minds. Well, Bruce, thanks for taking the time out of your visit with your family to get your story recorded, and I'll let you get back to the party. And thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. 
Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.